0: Hello, I'm Greg, and welcome to a talkback episode for Walk the Earth 3. This one takes us to September of 2013, and maybe the first time in the Walk the Earth series that I asked a question that was somewhat uh, inverted. Uh, Just like with inappropriate conversations, the first couple of episodes, uh, numbers 1 and 2, were introductory. Uh, One, a very poor sound quality a statement of the mission of the show for the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, and the other one introducing the concept of different drummer through the high school pseudonym, the author. And only on the third episode, really getting into the groove of what an inappropriate conversation would be from a format perspective, and to some degree, even topically. Walk the Earth was similar in some ways. Uh, The first couple of questions, which I've already shared as talkback episodes here very recently, on the feed at inappropriateconversations.org. An RSS feed, which obviously can be found where most podcasts are found, places like the uh, the iTunes area for podcasts, Spotify, etc. But uh, the first question was basically uh, the, just kind of the notion of whether, you know, what is a church, is the church the building, those kind of things. But this one really got into the, to the deep dive of saying, when I went out to explore and look at other churches and other denominations and how they did worship, to kind of address the issue of we were walking the earth with some sense of purpose, leaving a congregation that, in our opinion, had lost its way, but moving toward something different with kind of eyes wide open. And one of the things that we discovered pretty quickly was that maybe the some of the things that the church that we had left had done well was an issue for us because if you do something well and then stop doing it, that can almost feel like as big a betrayal as if you're missing opportunities or doing things that are actually really outwardly bad. And that was sort of the aha moment for me here in Walk the Earth 3. And it really set the tone for the rest of Walk the Earth all along in terms of the process of either finding a new church or considering whether that was going to be an impossibility or upon finding a new church home and a new denomination, kind of addressing the changes and the differences and all of that, all of these things rose questions that to me were somewhat inwardly focused. And I want to hit that in a couple of different ways in the introduction. One was that the thing that I felt the most connected to the church we left about was the concept of witnessing the notion of lay speaking. The idea that the message could be delivered, uh, maybe not every Sunday morning or maybe not even any Sunday morning outside of a men's service or a women's service or a youth service. But if there was a Wednesday night church activity or an extra service on Sunday, that that message could be delivered by literally anyone in the congregation, that the church's mission kind of reflects the idea that every member of the church is a minister of the church. And there may be one person appointed to the role of pastor, but everyone who's got a, an experience to share a witness, if you will, certainly should be allowed to, if not even actually actively encouraged, to speak and share that witness. And from time to time I would do that, and I would do it in a way that maybe was a little bit different from the average person, because I didn't hesitate to bring, in an inappropriate conversation style, concepts that might make some people uncomfortable, either because of their political mindset, or uh, their past experiences, or certain biases um, I shared a witness one time on a Sunday where I was pretty open about high school drinking and breaking the law in that respect. And uh, some of the people in my circle who uh, fed into that um, habit and behavior and some who sought to intervene. So I didn't. I wouldn't be the kind of person standing up in a church saying, well, I can't go there because that would set a bad example for the youth. Uh, in many ways, truth is a very good example and one that... We probably ought not shy away from as freely as we do inside church circles. This, of course, is another reason why I didn't have to turn down too many offers to be a stand-in as the youth leader. Because even from a volunteer lay leadership perspective, I knew that I wasn't the right person to be speaking to kids in junior high and high school. And it only takes one or two messages that really cut to the core of challenging social issues. To make people think, yeah, this is probably not the guy I want talking to talk into my high school sophomore. Fair enough, I didn't really want to be in that role anyway. And the Sunday school role that my wife and I played with another couple in the church was more focused on people who were out of high school and maybe either uh, going to college and therefore only occasionally coming back to visit. And when they come back to visit, they don't fit back into the high school group anymore. Is there a home for them? or the people who delayed or deferred college or went straight into the workforce still living in the area still part of the church but now having that same fish out of water problem of not necessarily fitting into the sunday school classes that include their parents but also not really not appropriately having a home in the youth group that they graduated away from and that's sort of where we found our niche it was a place where i had some freedom to speak freely In recent weeks, kind of looking at the issues related to the national response to COVID-19 as a coronavirus uh, impacting uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, truthfully. Um, We have, at the time I'm recording this, more than 80,000 people dead in the United States of America alone. So this is clearly, if you're talking about 80,000 deaths in less than two months... You're talking about something that in my lifetime is unprecedented, at least from the perspective of an contagious disease and disease management, and the notion that many states have taken the leadership on because the federal government has lagged seriously behind here. Uh, the federal government's point of view has been a wishy-washy at best, but a lot of states have taken the lead in saying, hey, it's, it's necessary for people to not congregate in large groups, It's necessary for the work that we couldn't have done 20 years ago from home because of the lack of the interconnectedness that the Internet provides would have meant that um, our options would have been more limited. But now, with so much work being capable of being performed at home, at least what I would describe as office work, there's absolutely no reason why that office work should not be done at home and that there shouldn't be some, some degree of state mandate saying... We do not want hundreds or thousands of people gathering together in the same building unnecessarily with insufficient testing so we don't really know who has come into contact with the virus who might be carrying it, spreading it around. This, of course, to anyone who's watching the news here in May of 2020, will know, has created what I would describe as a politically conservative backlash. Let me just share a quick social media post, a meme, if you will. It's actually a tweet that I've shared on Inappropriate Conversations. So if you visit with the uh, Inappropriate Conversations podcast, either via Twitter, where I'm at IC underscore Greg, or on Facebook, where Inappropriate Conversations has its own page listed as a cause, I shared something from someone named either Maro, or Moreau is his name. His Twitter handle is Moreau. W-O-A-H-M-A-U-R-O-H. He said this, Conservatives who are against immigration are breaking the law in an attempt to go to work and saying they will go to any lengths to take care of their families, even if it means breaking the law, citing it's their God-given duty, is so damn ironic that it's almost unbelievable. And this is perhaps the kind of thing I would have, in an afternoon or evening um, extra worship service, contemporary Sunday service, Brought up in front of a congregation of people cutting across every age group, but filled by and large with a lot of conservative people, the kind of people who I'm guessing if I sat down with them now after so many years of not seeing them because we switched churches would probably side with uh, the modern conservative perspective on immigration that those people shouldn't be coming here and that they, they broke the law crossing the border and therefore I'm not real happy that we've uh, taken their kids away from them and that, that we've got people incarcerated in what looks like concentration camps and they're not real happy about all that, but they, they found a way to live with it because they're so obsessed with how important it is to obey the law. Well, here we are. You have people in the state of Michigan, just to use them as an example, they're not the only one going into the streets with semi-automatic weapons and other sort of tools of warfare, um, wearing no masks or protective gears, literally storming uh, the halls of government to make a claim that the government has no right to protect public health by telling them that they need to sequester themselves to some degree or another in order to protect and prevent the spread of a contagious disease that we don't yet fully understand and certainly have not fully taken under control. Uh, We are currently at a state in May of 2020 where testing is insufficient to say we've got a beat on this and there is no vaccine to prevent it and we are still experimenting with techniques for treatment and 80,000 people have died in just the last couple of months. But if you're a conservative and your mind view is that my home is my castle and I will do anything to protect my family and if the only way I can keep my wife and kids safe is to kill you, then you're dead. That mentality, a mentality that I'm not 100% unfamiliar or even in disagreement with, it, it's what helps me understand why somebody would flee their country and cross multiple borders to try to find a safe haven, to try to seek asylum. The irony here is that the same people who are seeking asylum in the form of being able to leave their home even if it infects other people can't understand that same exact mentality Uh, leading someone to flee their home and seek refuge in another country where they might be safe. Again, the irony is staggering. The other thing that I'm kind of wrestling with is I think through kind of the things that I would share, sort of uh, not from the pulpit, but from in front of a congregation or in front of a gathering all those years ago, were things which might have rubbed people the wrong way in terms of challenging the notion that the Bible teaches that we should love the sinner but hate the sin, especially how that has been used in the context of our relationship with people who are different from us, either because they're from a different race or because they have a different socioeconomic set of circumstances that forces them into a different set of decisions than the rest of us typically face. Um, That would include uh, drug addiction, drug abuse in that heading and also the gay and lesbian community. Uh, At some point during the summer, probably in June, I intend to share a series of talkbacks related to the concept of pride, and one of them, Walk the Earth 30, which again I will try to share in the middle of June, has a moment where somebody who I didn't realize at the time was um, not heterosexual female. Let's put it that way. Whether uh, bisexual or lesbian is now in a committed lifelong relationship with a woman um, I didn't know that when I was giving messages that were dealing with controversial topics in this small you know northeastern Ohio church in you know two thousand say seven eight nine ten eleven but she did thank me for that because she acknowledged that there were times when I might have been the only voice in that church speaking with any sense of authority as the uh, lay leader and the head of the church council and other sort of positions of again, elected authority, um, was saying anything that would have supported her in her struggle. And at the time, I think she was you know, facing and dealing with a struggle, a struggle I was unaware of. I was just trying to speak truth as I saw it. And among the truths I was trying to speak is that it is okay to give a message that doesn't have all the answers. It is okay to raise as many questions as you answer if those questions are heartfelt and genuine. It's okay to, to be in abject sorrow in the midst of sharing a witness. And if I were to be standing in front of a congregation anywhere in the, in the near future, giving a message on some of these same topics I covered all those years ago, uh, I would be dealing with some sorrow. Because at the time I'm making this recording, just last night as a matter of fact, I got news that the husband of one of the, I'm going to describe them as online friends of ours, um, died suddenly. Unexpectedly, like a month ago, I don't think anybody had any sense that um, long-term hospitalization was in the cards or that uh, death was, was a realistic risk to be planning for and forecasting against, at least not that it had been shared on social media. But all of a sudden, um, this man, I'll call Gambit, part of the Pride 48 community, went from, you know, we didn't know he was feeling ill to dying Again, last night as I'm recording this. And boy, that's hit me very hard. And um, among the reasons that it's hits it's me hard is that when you're sheltering in place, you really can only have a face-to-face conversation with one other person. In this case, it's my wife and I can have a face-to-face conversation about this. But, you know, any access that I might choose to have with my pastor or anybody else is going to be this sort of Google Hangout Zoom link kind of a conversation And there are moments when maybe something a little bit more personal, something a little bit more direct, a little bit more making contact is a good idea. And that's missing. But you know what? It's also missing for his husband, who um, I'm certain is having a very unique experience of grief right now. Different in a lot of ways from what I experienced when my mom died a few years ago, because I had been able to be there just a few months earlier in person for an extended stay and visit. And... When we were going through my mom's effects, going through her, her townhouse, through her stuff, that was there with brothers and sisters and cousins and kids. And, you know, there was, there was a personal contact, a direct contact that I'm guessing is going to be limited at best right now. So I've used the introduction to a talk back episode before to provide some small words of eulogy for another person in the Pride 48 community. Who Died Suddenly. I think the talk back for the uh, Inappropriate Conversations 81, Singing a Song for Lovers had some words about Mags who died in a car accident. And here I am again blessed that I have circles of friends and that those circles of friends are not necessarily limited to blood relation, family, and church that I have other circles. In fact, more than one online circle. And one of those online circles is Pride 48 as a community. And There is no doubt in my mind that one of the biggest differences between the church I'm at now, the Walk the Earth journey, and especially the church I was at before, is that there is no way that I could even offer a closing prayer at the end of a praise service without mentioning Gambit and Rodan and all of our friends and how we're hurting and calling for prayers at this point in time of comfort and peace, where comfort and peace are, I'm certain... Very hard to find. We left a church where lay people speaking up in this manner was, was relatively common. It might have made some people unhappy. I have no doubt I made some politically conservative people unhappy. I'm sure from time to time I've made some politically liberal people unhappy. Because speaking honestly and truthfully, but very directly as a political moderate, and tethering as conservatively as possible is how I tend to word it, to the writings in scripture, meaning going with what is there and not embellishing with things which aren't really there. I love the sinner, hate the sin nonsense, stuff of that nature, but also sticking to the message itself, that if Jesus is Lord, then what Jesus says goes. And therefore what Jesus declines to say also has a tremendous amount of authority and, you can't say that Jesus declined to say something because he was unaware or couldn't foresee the future and say that Jesus was Lord in the same breath and expect to be taken seriously by people like me, people who, on my bad days, don't suffer fools gladly. None of this introduction necessarily ties directly to the concept in Walk the Earth 3 of whether a sermon has to be given by the pastor or whether there's some concept of sermon that can be given by anybody who truly believes and has a witness to share that can be tied to the word, a.k.a. the Bible. But it was the right time to provide this kind of introduction because we are seeing a great deal of stress being put on our society, in some cases unnecessarily, by people who simply don't like being told what to do, but love telling other people what to do. And the fact of the matter is, I'm much less inclined to invite someone who is currently sheltering in place out of their home because they really, really want to go to a restaurant like they used to, or they don't understand why the monster truck rally has been canceled. And I'm much more likely to be tolerant of violations to shelter in place orders, to bring a community of friends and family together to surround somebody who is grieving and mourning and desperately in need of human touch. Thanks for listening. Whether a sermon is fundamentally the sharing of word and witness. you going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in an adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? You know, if it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I am Greg. It's going to be a risk I take as I manage this transition from one church home to what's going to be a new church home, I hope, as this process of walking the earth winds up in my personal life, that I'm going to have a lot of criticism to make of the church I left. As I mentioned in the first couple of episodes, it is incredibly unusual for me to have left a church for any other reason than geographical relocation. And in this case, having reasons, having what I believe are incredibly good reasons means i've frankly got a lot to complain about but i want to veer off a little bit on this particular episode and talk about one of the things that the church that i left had done extremely well now of course if the church was still doing the thing that was you know really important to me and brilliantly well executed i'd probably still be there even despite other issues and other misgivings so it's still a bit of a bit of a criticism to say hey That church really did something incredibly well, and now it's not doing it anymore. What do we do about that? It's also true that the pastor that I was working with directly at the end of my experience with the church that I left was not the problem. Not the problem in any way. But having said that, there are things that we obviously could have done better, and if this sounds like a criticism of decisions made by that particular pastor, well then, so be it. Because one of the things that I'm looking for is I try to make a transition from the church that we were at to the church we're hopefully going to be at. Is looking at specifically the role of the pastor and the role of the pastor in the worship service. We like the idea of finding a church that either has multiple different styles of worship or in a single worship service incorporates multiple different ways of praising the Lord and sharing the word. This means that the pastor has a challenging job of trying to find ways to speak to very different audiences or very different needs among the congregation. That's probably how I would word it. And so the pastor has a key role to play, not just in the selection of Scripture and contributing to you know, decisions made about the music, what's the call to worship going to be, uh, how are we going to manage offerings as Churches tend to do what I consider to be something very lazy and answer all of these questions the same way. We're always going to do the call to worship this way. We're always going to engage in how we deal with children this way. We're going to take the offering the same way every week. And my proposal was always, that why do you always do it the same way every week? Why do you always have the same routine for gathering the joys and concerns of the congregation in order to rise a moment of prayer where we're doing prayers of supplication for the people who have come that very Sunday, many of times coming with a lot of burdens on their heart that they would like to share. Now, burdens makes it sound like it's always negative, but sometimes having a praise where you have no one to share with your joy is just as much a burden to carry. So no matter which way you look at it, I was always looking for a different way. For people who would mix things up, I guess, for want of a better word. And that's awfully hard to do, and awfully hard to find. And I'm not going to praise the church I left for having figured out how to do that, because the best that they could do is to have two completely different worship services. And even within the more contemporary format of that worship service, you found patterns emerging, and I'm not going to say a rut, but you found this tendency to do things a certain way. I'm going to call it particularism, and I'm going to get, in future episodes, to my concerns about just the entire concept of particularism. I don't believe that there is one right way to do anything. There's not one correct set of words to use for the reading of the Lord's Prayer, for example, because you are going to be hard-pressed to find a church that recites their version of the Lord's Prayer in exactly the words, word-for-word, that Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount. So we have Jesus telling us the manner in which we should pray, and he's used specific words to do it. And even people who believe that there are specific words that should be used when praying that particular prayer, those words don't line up with scripture either. So no, I'm the enemy of particularism. I believe that it's much more important to go where the Holy Spirit leads you. There's no aspect of the role a pastor plays inside a worship service that's more telling than the sermon. So despite the fact that there may be other things the pastor does in the worship service, and a lot of things other people are doing, things that the laity are doing, are often pastor-directed or part of a collaboration between the pastor and the lay people, the sermon is the most glaring of them all. And my question today is whether the sermon is really the sharing of word and witness. And if that's what it is, why does that always have to be done by the pastor? This is a question that really reveals a lot about where the church is today, because inside traditions like Roman Catholicism, of course the homily is going to be by the priest. That's fairly well proscribed, as a matter of fact. But in Protestant Christianity, well, that restriction shouldn't necessarily apply. And yet, here we are, just using Wikipedia as an example, with a definition of sermon that goes like this. A sermon is an oration by a prophet or member of the clergy. Wow. That seems to answer the question pretty well, doesn't it? If you're delivering a sermon, you must be either a member of the clergy, or you must think of yourself as a prophet, which I would be very hesitant to do, even as a member of the clergy. Sermons address biblical, theological, religious, or moral topic, usually expounding on a type of belief law or pattern of behavior within both past and present contexts. Elements of preaching include exposition, exhortation, and practical application. Now, the term, you know, te- technically just means conversation, either to join together, to bring together the word and the congregation through witness, or to have a conversation where it's okay to ask questions and answers, to be discussing things with the congregation more than just standing on a pulpit high up on an altar or stage, and delivering something that is supposed to be passively heard or listened to. It's not ironic, to me, or at least it's not surprising, that the word sermon is also defined in the dictionary as a lengthy or tedious speech delivered with great passion by any person to an uninterested audience. Let me say that again. If you look up sermon in most of the online dictionaries, you're going to find first this notion that it's this formal speech that's part of a worship service delivered typically by a member of the clergy, but you're also going to have this definition that says, hey, it's usually a lengthy and tedious speech delivered with great passion by any person to an uninterested audience. If someone's going to be accused of sermonizing, for example, that doesn't necessarily happen in church. Somebody at a board meeting could go off on a sermon in this negative way, or at least have it described in this negative way. So when we think about it, the types of of sermons that you typically hear are ones which are exegetical, they're expository, we've read from the Bible, now we're going to explain what the Bible says. They could be tied to the liturgy, sort of a sermon that's built around communion, because this is Communion Sunday. They can grab a particular character from the Bible or a key historic moment in the church, be biographical. They can be more designed on bringing up either a moment of history, or sending people out to evangelize, or in some other way, telling a story. So there are lots of types of sermons, and the delivery method tends to be either scripted or extemporaneous, so with limited notes, perhaps even with a PowerPoint on the wall, but not necessarily written out completely or full-on impromptu. So, first off, I wonder if it's going to be inappropriate, based on the definitions we've seen, for me to say that I have delivered a sermon before. Notice the hesitation in my voice. It seems like I can speak much more confidently if I say that on many occasions, I have been responsible in a worship service for delivering the message. That feels better may maybe in a Roman Catholic setting, if a situation forced a member of the laity to offer words at the time of the Mass, they certainly couldn't be called a homily. You know, it, it would have to be a member of the clergy to be the homily. So in this case, if you extend it to the Protestant concept of sermon, it may be safer to say that if the pastor is delivering a message during the time of worship, it's a sermon. But if anyone else is given a message... During the time of worship, well, it's just that. It's just a message. But maybe what it is, really, is a witness. The church that I've left had a period of several years, actually, of what I consider to be unprecedented examples of witness. There were two worship services, evolving very slowly over a long period of time. And in one of those worship services, and by the way, I attended both, One of those worship services, what we call traditional, now traditional from a Protestant Christian perspective, but still following the pattern of worship that you would expect in a church, Um, you know, call to worship, prayer, uh, hymn, moment with the children, gather the offering, time of sharing of joys and concerns, and a pastor-led prayer, uh, leading up to sharing of scripture in the sermon, that sort of pattern, traditional worship. The other worship service though, in addition to having more contemporary hymns, sometimes you know played with canned music and sung along, sometimes with different instrumentation, could be piano, but could just as easily be electric guitar, or a you know, combination of other acoustic instruments. And the songs uh, not necessarily what we would find in a traditional hymn book, but more contemporary Christian songs, for want of a better word. But the thing that made that worship service to me so interesting was in addition to the different type of music, and the fact that the formats used for prayer would vary, very significantly from one worship service to the other. It could be what we sometimes call popcorn prayers. As opposed to gathering beforehand the joys and concerns of the congregation, they would simply speak up. And the prayer would evolve over time with lots of different voices, raising either concerns of supplication or uh, whatever they were inspired to share based on their personal prayer life at that time where the Holy Spirit was leading them. So prayer was very dynamic, I guess would be the way I would word it. But the other thing about that worship service that to me made it so special is that most of the time, I would say 75, 80% of the time, the time of message wasn't delivered by the pastor. It was delivered by other people who were learning how to be lay speakers and getting comfortable sharing their story. Because unless you're given the opportunity to exercise your witness, what are you going to do? with some degree of confidence and experience when someone actually calls upon you to witness. Now, that somebody could be a person at a revival. It could be, you know, a parachurch activity with multiple churches getting together to do some sort of collective event or collective worship. It could be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, now's the time to speak. But you don't want people who have never had the opportunity to stand up in front of the rest of their congregation and speak. We used to do a thing way back when I first joined this church, where if you were a new member, at some point you'd be asked to sort of share your story. We didn't really call it witnessing necessarily, but essentially it was, here's a new member of the congregation. Some of you know this person because they're part of your Sunday school or you've engaged in conversation in and around the time of worship. But here's an opportunity for this person to tell the congregation, involuntarily, of course, no is a valid answer to there's no way I'm going to stand up and talk to a bunch of people. My wife, for example, declined the opportunity to, to stand up and talk with a bunch of people. So I tried to tell both of our stories when it was my turn to speak You know, in that manner, to basically say, who are we? What is our faith journey? Where do we come from? Where do we hope we're going? You see, the word and witness is really simple. It's, is there scripture? that you've been studying or that you've been inspired by? Is there some way to tie what you're about to say back into what Jesus may have said or what Paul may have said in his letters? Is there some connection to the Bible? That's the word part of it. And the witness part of it can be just as simple as saying, hey, what is the Lord doing in my life? What's going on with me? Right now, if I were to attend a church this upcoming Sunday and be asked to share some witness, my witness would be the story of me being called to walk the earth. I feel like I'm being spirit-led to look around, to ask questions, to worship in different ways, to intentionally go into congregations where I don't think there's any chance I would ever become a member, just to experience worship that way, that I don't think there's one right way to praise the Lord. I don't think the Holy Spirit thinks there's one right way to praise the Lord. And this means everybody who thinks there is one right way is not just wrong, they're dead wrong. So, word and witness could simply be, hey, I've been I've been reading the Bible lately, I've caught into this part of Galatians where Paul is talking about Jesus having fulfilled all the law, and the law was only in effect until Jesus came, and with his coming, we are no longer beholden to any of that. In fact, it's probably a sinful denial of Christ and what he did on the cross to continue to try to pretend to obey all those laws. And my witness might be, How far are we as a Protestant church today from understanding what Paul was explaining in one of his earliest letters to the church in Galatia? Because so often when you you hear a Christian speaking passionately about a social issue, no matter what that social issue is, they're probably going to be quoting how we have an obligation to God to obey the Old Testament laws. That Paul had told the church in Galatia that they were risking their salvation by pretending to continue to follow. There's a lot of witness to be shared there, and I won't presume to share it here. What I wanted to do, though, is to say hey, this church, back when it was more vibrant and alive, experimenting with new things, following the Spirit wherever the Spirit might lead, had led itself to a place. Where in a lot of times, at least one of those two worship services, and sometimes both of them, would have laity delivering the message, a different voice besides the pastor sharing both word that has inspired them and a witness to what the Lord is doing in their lives. Now, this is really important because when I was working actively, as the kind of the personnel committee, part of that committee on the church that is supposed to take care of policy and procedure and staff in particular. The Pastor Parish Relations Committee is what the United Methodist Church calls it. The pastor was supposed to have four weeks of vacation and two weeks of continuing education every year. There were supposed to be at least six weeks where the pastor was not in the pulpit. And if the pastor was engaged in prison ministry, really actively engaged in the prison ministry that my church was associated with, there might be two other weeks where he would be gone because he would be part of those weekend events where a group of volunteers, both laity and clergy, would go into the prison, share the gospel, minister, listen to the stories of people who were in that environment. So you can have two months, two full months out of the year, where it was not only okay, but expected that the pastor would not be in the pulpit. And our church didn't have this expectation that every time the pastor was off doing some continuing education, had a seminar or whatever, that we would have some sort of guest clergy from another church step in and speak, because we as a congregation could only hear from people who were ordained. No, we had a genuine respect and a commitment to hearing the witness of the people who were part of our church. We had other people who were not part of of any sort of pastoral path, who weren't on their way to becoming ordained at all, who would spend almost every weekend reaching out to people who were in the youth detention center. Well, that's a person who's got got a witness to share. What is he experiencing there? Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to minister not just to those who were in prison, but to youth who were in prison? And from time to time, we would hear from him. I'm tempted to say back in the day. Because there were some members of the church who felt that this was somehow not ideal, not good, and not appropriate. We made a pastoral change at one point because the pastor that I met when I first joined that church retired. Replacing him was a much younger man. And this was perceived to be a very good thing because the church had specifically said that maybe what we really need is a younger pastor. That if we're going to make a change anyway, let's bring in somebody who might you know, give us a different voice, speak to a different demographic within our community because we knew that we were seeing fewer and fewer younger families become part of the church. And the belief was perhaps having a younger pastor and bringing in new ideas with him would make that difference. Now, my opinion is that this occurred and because this occurred, it created changes and those changes were you know, viewed as unacceptable by a lot of members of the congregation who had specifically asked some of them who had specifically asked for a younger pastor specifically because they wanted to see changes specifically because they'd hoped those changes would reach out to a younger demographic. And when they got what they asked for, they immediately regretted it. And you began to see challenges right and left, not just to things that this pastor was going to introduce, but also to things that had already existed to steps. We had taken down that path to sing newer Christian music, not just the quote-unquote old hymns, for example. And one of the areas that I believe that this pastor was immediately attacked, attacked in a spiritual sense, was people who were whispering into his ear, in some cases quite literally, about things that needed to be done with that later service. And one of their biggest problems was that the later service didn't have the pastor giving the message every Sunday. Now, there's two schools of thought about this. One of the schools of thought suggests that we're paying this guy X thousands of dollars a year. And if, if we have a parsonage and we're actually putting him up in the church's home for him, we're shelling out a lot of resources. This guy's our employee. And I don't feel like I'm getting my 56 hours a week that I expect for that money or even 40. And part of the reason that they would say that is, well, we have two worship services. That means the pastor needs to be speaking in both those worship services. Now, he wasn't confronted that honestly. My personal opinion is, he was never given an honest conversation from some of these people. Instead, he would said, well, what if there's a visitor? And what if the visitor shows up to the later service? How will they even know who the pastor is? You have to give the message. That's the only way a new person will know who's the clergy and who's not. As I often did, as it felt like I actually spent something like five years doing, I answered those questions. They were usually not shared with me. In fact, quickly, I stopped hearing about them directly at all because I think the people who were trying to push for the changes they wanted didn't want any pushback. They didn't want to have a conversation about the church discipline. They didn't want to have a discussion about the theology. The last thing they wanted to hear was what Jesus might have us do. And so I would encounter these things because the pastor or the choir director or somebody else would share the pushback they were getting. And what I said was, yeah, I think it's probably a good idea that the pastor have a presence in that later worship service. But it certainly doesn't have to be the message every Sunday. The pastor can be the greeter. The pastor can close the service. The pastor can do a vocal solo if he's so led. In this case, wasn't the case. Or lead us in prayer. It should switch around as much as everything else in that service was switching around. And I think the same people who viewed that kind of variability as threatening or dangerous or wrong... My personal view is that they were quenching the Holy Spirit. They were shutting down the movement of God. But they didn't find that to be acceptable at all. To them, it didn't really matter if the pastor did the opening greeting, although that's ideal. The most important thing was that the pastor do that message thing. That's what we're paying him to do. That's what he's got. It's got to be all about that. The man, heaven help him, was put under tremendous pressure to shut down one of the most vibrant and important ministries happening in the church— at that time, an effort was being made to sort of say, "We don't want to hear a witness from anybody. We don't want to hear what the Lord's doing in anybody's life. And I don't want—I don't want to judge. Maybe that's because it was calling to their attention the fact the Lord wasn't doing that much in their life. Maybe it was genuinely a sense that it's critically important that anybody who's a visitor to the church have a relationship with the pastor above all else." doesn't make sense in a mainline Christian denomination where on average every three or four years pastors are rotating around anyway. The location of the building doesn't change. The congregation, the people, truly the church, as we discussed last week on Walk the Earth, well, that doesn't change. So the pastor, to me, is the one element that actually should be very variable, but not to this group within the church. So the pastor responding to those urgings decided he needed to speak and do the message in both both services. That in, in essence, both of these worship services needed to have a sermon with a capital S, meaning that the clergy had to deliver it. And here's where I made what I consider now to be some somewhat of a misstep in the advice that I gave the pastor I was working with. Because he wanted to give the same message, almost verbatim or largely verbatim, in both worship services. Now, a couple of problems with that. First, we had a lot of people attending both worship services because their role in the second service was perhaps much more active than the first or the other way around. Maybe in the first service, they were part of the choir and they would prefer to have worshipped again just as part of the congregation. Or maybe in the second service, they were actually going to be leading that time of prayer and or sharing their witness or doing some sort of a music solo. And we were essentially asking those people to listen to the exact same sermon twice in a row, two times in something like two and a half hours. And that, to me, didn't seem like it made much sense. Not when you consider the variation that we'd had before, where the first service was almost always the pastor giving a message, typically following some sort of key ecumenical approach, a key liturgical approach. And then the later service was anything goes. Sometimes it was a word of witness. Sometimes it was the pastor doing something different. And that when we'd done this in the past with the previous pastor, again, he didn't often give the sermon at the later service, but when he did it, it was something unique and different. And I advised this pastor that this just wasn't going to work, that this was perhaps an effort by people who were hostile toward the contemporary style of worship that was being done to shut it down and kill it, and that you certainly weren't going to have the same spirit moving through that worship if it was the same message twice. Now, for whatever reason, he could have challenged me back to say, hey, throughout the denomination, at least throughout the district that we were in, that's the way it works. That other churches, even churches that have two distinctly different types of worship, have the pastor giving the same message in both of the services. I was unaware of this if this was true. The funny thing is, as I've walked the earth, I've begun to get the impression that, yes, indeed, that is true. Some of the churches that I don't intend to join may visit again, but I don't intend to join. The pastor is clearly giving the message two or three times a day, the exact same message, multiple times. The church that I'm perhaps most interested in right now and I'm seriously looking at how we can make that work, uh, that pastor gives a message that I can tell would work either in a very traditional high church sort of setting, but also in the contemporary church setting. And I'm, to be honest with you, quite impressed that his oratory style on essentially the same words, is that flexible. It's a good thing. But I was really surprised to find it. That I would have guessed that if you had two different styles of worship that were that drastically different from each other, that the message, even if it was covering the same word from the Bible, would have a very different style or even a very different set of stories. And I don't think I found that to be true. Meaning that when I advised the pastor in my church that he couldn't just give the same sermon twice, that was probably not really rock solid. It didn't reflect what was happening elsewhere in the district. Now, the irony is, as long as I was playing a key role, whether that be the lay leader or whether that be the church council chairperson or part of this pastor parish HR type committee within the church, that commitment meant that I was unlikely to be gathering any information in from other churches. I mean, one of the reasons I'm diving so headfirst into this walk-the-earth opportunity is that I haven't had that opportunity since we very you know first moved to this area more than 15 years ago. I never got a chance to look around. If it wasn't part of some sort of parachurch church event, I've never seen church done another way because I haven't availed myself of the opportunity to go and worship with other people and see what they did and see how it worked. So without me realizing it, without me being particularly sensitive to it, this pastor went into some serious, um, serious overtime, for want of a better word, found himself being extremely overworked because he was enough of a perfectionist to want to give excellent sermons on two different topics twice a week. We basically doubled his workload and we doubled his workload in a way that I didn't realize was out of step and out of sync with everybody else. So that was my short sightedness. But part of the reason that I think we doubled his workload is that this church had experienced getting two very different messages from different speakers with different experiences, with different levels of polish, to be honest with you, even different grasps of the scripture, which is a fair criticism. We were used to hearing something different, and we were expecting to continue to do so. The right answer probably wasn't that this pastor should be constantly coming up with two messages a week from now on, every week, week in, week out, because he bought into the what I would call the lie that the pastor has to give the sermon at every service every Sunday. If we have four services, is he going to give all four messages? Well, of course, if we were big enough to have four services, we'd probably have an associate pastor, and that person would step up and and handle one of the sermons one of the Sundays. But would he be essentially delivering the same message to just a different person, just a different speaker? I'm not visiting churches big enough for that to be a concern, so I don't have an answer to that question. But what this church should have done was stuck to their guns. Say, hey, there's typically four Sundays in a month. Let's forget the five Sunday months for now. There's four Sundays in a month. One of these Sundays, the pastor introduces himself right up front and does the greeting. One of these Sundays, he leads us in the prayer time and calls out very clearly to anybody who doesn't know who he is and what his role is and where he can be found and what his phone number is. And one of the Sundays, he gives the closing. He delivers the benediction on the way out the door. And the other Sunday, it's the message. And that way you're still providing three opportunities for somebody else to share what the Lord is doing in their life and what a particular piece of scripture means to them? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to them? And what have they said or done in response? That was the right answer. And the church walking away from that solution had a lot to do, I think, with some people leaving earlier than I did. And with me ultimately saying, listen, there's no place for me to share what the Lord's doing in my life, in this congregation anymore. There used to be. And to be honest with you, there have been big things happening in my life. If there's not going to be an opportunity for me to share any of that inside this local church, I'll go find another. Now, my fear is I'm not going to find another church that met my needs as well as that church did. So as I offer criticism to the church I've walked away from, including criticism for where that church, I think, deceived a new pastor and manipulated him and choked and destroyed something that was actually really delivering great benefit and great potential future benefit. The reality is that church did something more right than any church I've seen since I've been looking around. And if I could only go back in time, maybe three or four years and attend the church I was attending again at the time that they were doing things in my mind extremely well, well, I'd be just as happy to plug back in that church was doing things right for a while. And I don't want to lose that as I offer criticisms and comparisons while I'm walking the earth and looking for something different and better, it's important to note that one of the things that might be different and better is for that church to have gone back to doing what they were doing when we first began to, in my opinion, move where the Holy Spirit was taking us. All of this, of course, begs a really big question, and it's the question I use to start the show, whether a sermon is fundamentally just the sharing of the word and witness. Theoretically, it ought to be just that. That those of us who feel like there's something magic about the ordination and the, the degree and the university study and the pledge to serve the congregation in this pastoral role, bringing some sort of magic to that message, I don't think I agree with that. I think that we should be hearing the witness from as many different sources as we possibly can. That sermon, remember, can easily be defined as a conversation. And that conversation doesn't always have to be led by the pastor. So in my mind, a sermon is fundamentally someone sharing the word and sharing their witness to the word. Now that someone doesn't always have to be the pastor. Now, if that makes me out of step with the denomination that I came from, so be it. If that makes me out of step with any denomination I'm likely to find, including non-denominational churches who rely more heavily on the leadership of their pastor than any of the mainline Protestant churches do, because the mainline Protestant churches have structures in place. There's an ecclesiastical sort of structure that enables that church to feel comfortable that even if their pastor goes completely off the deep end and starts preaching heresy, they just step up a, a level, talk to the district superintendent, and deal with it. That there's something bigger than the pastor of that church. But in a non-denominational church, you've got the elders who are largely responsible for hiring the pastor, and you got the pastor. And that's it. And if you can't trust the pastor to lead you in things like doctrine and scripture, then what are you going to do? So I understand the vulnerability. I also understand that if, as I look around and wander from congregation to congregation and learn what I can, that I'm likely to find there's a lot of churches where if there's six worship services that day, somebody who's quote-unquote a pastor is going to be delivering the message at all six of them. And if there's one pastor who's delivering three of those a message in three of those services, he's probably going to be delivering the exact same message. I just find that extremely disappointing, because I believe that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of every believer and has a lot to say through those believers. And if the answer to this question that that the sermon is more than just sharing of word and witness, that the sermon is somehow wrapped up directly in who's doing that sharing, then I feel like the body of Christ suddenly becomes a little bit top heavy in a way and probably is bound for a fall. So this is one of the first questions I've raised, but I think the way I've worded the question leads me to the answer, yes. A sermon is the sharing of word and witness. And I'm okay, if other people are not okay, with me being completely indifferent to the credentials of the person who's sharing that message. Please join me in prayer as you are led. Almighty God, I know, through your Holy Spirit, you have called me to speak. I know this because at times when you've called me to speak, I've spoken. And both me, and perhaps others, have been blessed by that exchange, that conversation. I'm struggling in this transition from one church as it was, to that church as it became, to my leaving that church and looking for another, struggling to find the, the witnessing opportunities that existed before, struggling to find a place where I'm hearing other voices. Do I need, Lord, to constantly go to a rotating set of three or four churches if I want to hear witness of you shared by three or four different voices? What if I want to hear from both male and female voices? Do I have to find a church that has a female lead pastor and a male associate pastor, or The other way around, help me, Lord, find what it is I'm looking for, because I know you have so much to say through so many people. I know you have so much to say through so many people that I have never met, and I'm uncomfortable feeling that the only way I will hear the full range of testimony you intend for me is to bounce around from church to church forever, because you've planted your word in the hearts of all of us. Paul told the believers in Corinth that they were the witnesses, all of them, to the ministry that Paul was doing. Surely that means that you want us to speak. You have planted your words, your guidance, your plans for us into our hearts. What does it mean, Lord, if so many of us feel like we're not allowed to share what you've told us? Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree. It was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. next question will be whether the message itself differs inside versus outside of the sanctuary. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.